awesome. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for uh, sticking up for me. It's like, that's that good, you know? It's like, I struggle a week, like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? It's like, well, at least he's blocking Mike, so that's good. You know, it's like, you know. Thanks, God, they're awesome. You know, I love Mike. He's, uh, he's good. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here today. I've uh, preached this sermon about 45 times in my head already, but there are 45 different sermons um, because I'm that guy. Um, in fact, what I want to talk about today, you can turn in your Bibles if you even own one, uh, to Acts chapter 9. I'm at the vineyard, I know. And uh, Acts chapter 9 is really the story of Paul's encounter um, on the Damascus Road. But what's uh, really stunning about this story um, uh, to me is that as I ponder it, I'm that guy that I just go 45 different directions and I study 45 different things. In fact, there's uh, three times the story is told in the book of Acts, once in Acts 9, uh, once in Acts 22, one in Acts 26. And in Acts 26, it gets to the end of it and he's speaking to King Agrippa. And after he gets done kind of telling his testimony, the king says, I think much study has made you crazy. And I read that and I thought, yep, pretty much. That's me. You know, keep chewing on it, grinding on it, listening to T. Wright, listen to rabbis talk and everybody else. Um, and, you know, in preparation for this, I, I, I started thinking about, you know, what should I talk about? I was invited about a month ago that I, this Sunday would be my day. And... Um, so what dropped in my spirits was talk about the Apostle Paul. And um, I mean, to drop that little thought in my head, and then I'm really, it's, it's a lot of things to think about. You know, the theology of Paul, uh, I wanted to talk about for a while the friendships of Paul, because his friends made his life totally different. Um, when you think about the people that you've encountered in your life that have influenced your spiritual journey, you wouldn't be here today without those people. Uh, people make a difference in your life. And... Um, it's all about Jesus, but it's all about people. People make a difference. And, you know, as in fact, it's, it's interesting, uh, a rather invisible relationship. We might think about Paul, I think about Barnabas. I think about Paul, his confrontation with uh, Peter. Uh, might think about when he went to Ephesus or Corinth or how he went through Philippi and spent some time in jail. Ended up in Caesarea in jail or ended up in Rome in jail. Um, you know, Paul had quite an illustrious career but without people in his life. Well, the reason we even know a lot about his life is because of a great friend of his named Luke. Yes. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And, I mean, when you think about serving someone, look how Luke served Paul. He told his story. Um, and in this Damascus encounter, it, the Holy Spirit seemed to have led uh, Luke to tell it three times. Because in a sense, what I have kind of in my notes here in front of you is that embedded in your testimony is your destiny. These divine encounters that you've had in your life define who you are. And um, one of the first things that the Spirit would really drop in my soul was that I call them unsolicited divine encounters. Unsolicited divine encounters. Those shift everything in your life. When you're riding your donkey, going there to rent havoc in somebody else's life, and God says, your turn. Or I even think about Moses. He's out there tending the sheep. He's 80 years old. He's done. 
You know, he served in the courts of Pharaoh 40 years and he's banished in the desert, found a wife, had some kids. He's out there just taking care of things. And he sees a burning bush that's not catching on fire. He's like, what is this? He goes to there and he finds out and the rest is what we say, the rest is history. Or I think about young David, you know, tending the sheep. He's the ninth of nine sons in the house. And the prophet comes in and says, I have something I want to look for. I'm looking for the next king of Israel. And his father assembles the sons, and of course David's out there. And David, in his unknowing way, didn't know that God had appointed him to be the king of Israel. And to really go through three anointings that succeedingly made him the king of all of Israel. Unsolicited divine encounters. Those change your life. I, I'm in, I can almost stop right now and do a, a contemplative time and say, write down those encounters. Remember those encounters. That's your story. That's your testimony. That's your encounter. Nothing will change your life more than how God changes your life. It was, uh, you know, if you look at you version, you know, the Bible on your phone, um, you know, all 40 translations of it, by the way. Um, they send a verse every day, and the verse today that came through was, unless the Lord build the house, those that labor, labor in vain. That's right. It's really true. You know, I mean, we struggle, we strive, we pray, we fast, we go to church, we do everything we can, and yet God's like, I got it. I'm a, I'm a real believer in the sovereignty of God. You know, one of the things that a uh, prophetic guy uh, talked about when he came to our church about 10 years ago was he, talked, he said, there's going to come a season of providential miracles. Not supernatural signs, but providential miracles. A providential miracle is you're riding on your donkey, going to run havoc against the saints of God, and God says, excuse me, plan B, or really plan A, forget plan B. Um, so if you want to put up on this screen there, uh, Acts chapter 9, I don't know if uh, we're doing that today. Um, I don't know if the screen even works. Um, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, you know. People come in the house, all of a sudden nothing works. Well, you look around, who's new? Who blew up the, who blew up the screens? Um, I got a quote here, and in, you know, in considering the Apostle Paul, uh, what I did do was I, I listened to a video by, um, his name is actually Do, uh, Dr. Halel Abramson. And he teaches at a, at a Jewish college in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, he's a well-studied Jew. He's Jewish. He's not Christian. And, but he had a video on Saul of Tarsus. And I thought, wow, what has he got to say? Well, I put a quote here what he said. He said, Saul of Tarsus is one of the most important people in Jewish history. Actually, he said he's in the top ten. I'm like, seriously? A Brooklyn Jew is telling me that Saul of Tarsus was one of the most ten influential Jews of all of history. Now, if you think about the Jews... And I think we all do in the church. We think a lot about the Jews. Sometimes we don't know what to think, but we think a lot about the Jews. And the one thing we're aware of is that they have changed the world. There's probably no, no race that has more Nobel Peace Prizes, scientific awards, mathematical achievements, even in the world of psychiatry. I mean, Freud was a Jew. He changed psychiatry. You know, Albert Schweitzer was a Jew. 
He changed mathematics and the theory of relativity. Jews changed the world. And this guy says, Paul's in the top ten. I'm like, seriously? That, you can take that to the bank, as they say. Um, so, uh, see, I haven't got through that. I'm, we'll, we'll see how I get through these notes. Um, I have 18 pages in front of me that I can read from. Um, I'm used to running a, a, a class. And in running uh, my school of ministry class, I'll bring in 18 pages, and we'll see what happens. Um, I, I long since threw away my agenda in the course of relationship and rabbit trails. Because, um, you know, I might say something and everybody's like, yeah, what's going on? Well, I had a dream last night. I'm like, well, let's go for it then. That's fine. Let's talk about your dream. Uh, because in the, in the juncture what we're talking about, which in this case would be, you know, unintended, unsolicited, not even desired, divine encounters, people are like, well, I had one last night. And be like, well, let's stop and talk about that. What did that divine encounter do for you? How is that shifting your trajectory? How is that changing your life? Because God's in charge. Amen. And if there's one thing that I would know historically about the vineyard, uh, is that when you say, come Holy Spirit, you mean it. You don't mean I'm in charge anymore. You mean I'm releasing this thing under your hands, Father. You, you have your way. And, you know, the first unsolicited encounter that most of you have is when Jesus Christ came into your life. And you have a testimony about that. But that's when I got saved. That's when I got born again. In my case, part of my story would be long, long, long ago in another city in Orange County. Um, I'm sitting there and I was listening to this guy preach. I have no idea what he was talking about. Um, but I had a friend that was hammering on me all day long about Jesus, so I finally went to church. And uh, his name was Mike. And he, uh, I go to church, and I mean, I'm not, I, I walked out of that building that night, and I said, this is the truth. I'm in. And from that day, the truth has been what I pursued. I would say to you, some of you encountered Jesus, and it was the love. And I've never felt so loved in all my life. I've never felt that touch. I've never felt that all of a sudden acceptance. And that marks you from this day forever. That is your encounter. That's part of your testimony. That's part of your destiny. And I would say part of your calling. Is that's how you talk about Jesus. That's how you talk about who God is to you. Because he touched you in an area of your life. I mean, in Paul's sense, you know, uh, well, I have to read this too, but you know, he's, he's blind three days after this encounter. I mean, what went through that man's head? He's like, I'm on my way to do your work, God. Well, let's read before I make comments. Um, NIV text, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This really ought to be a red letter in your Bible. 
Well, honestly, it's the voice of God, the voice of Jesus. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything, could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Verse 10, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias? Yes, Lord. Yes, Kyrios. In the Greek, he answered, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man. What are you asking of me? <laughs> and all the harm he has done to your servants, the saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on his name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered in. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother, Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. After that, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners, the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. What a story. Man. It's an, uh, it's, it's, uh, so if, if uh, my approach is quite simply this. I read my Bible. I read the footnotes. I read the margins. Get study Bible number two, study Bible number three. And Mike got the cultural study Bible. You know, got the NIV this, the King James that, and I'm off. You know, and three hours later, I've got through you know three verses. I'm just flat curious. I mean, if you had to describe me, you'd just say, I just have to know. I want to know the truth. You know, I want to know what it really says. I want to know what else it says. I want to know where if it says it anywhere else. Does it say any different anywhere else? I'm, uh, Brenda says, you know, my beloved wife who's home today. She's like, you exhaust me. It's like, uh, I know, it's exhausting. Um, James Dunn, who is uh, an amazing author, um, I would call him a Pentecostal charismatic theologian who's passed away. His dear friends called him Jimmy Dunn. Um, he says this, the synoptic gospels certainly take us back to the teaching of Jesus. John's gospel has had an immeasurable influence on the subsequent perception of Jesus Christ in particular on the Christian spirituality in general. Without Acts, we would have little clear idea how Christianity first spread. But if theology is measured in terms of articulation and Christian belief, 
then Paul's letters laid a foundation for Christian theology which has never been rivaled or superseded. The Apostle Paul is one of the most amazing guys in Christian history because he developed our theology. Jesus we follow, Paul told us some house. You know? Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Paul says, this is what it looks like. You know? Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Father. And Paul broke down spirituality. Unbelievably. Jesus said, I'm coming back again because I rose from the dead. And Paul says, because he rose from the dead, you can rise from the dead too, believing in his name. It's like, wow. Wow. Paul developed what Jesus talked about. And then all Paul did was ever do is talk about Jesus. He told this story three times in Acts. So let's break it down a little bit. Uh, this is how I'm going to break it down to the best I can. Uh, who is Saul of Tarsus, number one, who later became Paul? Well, the most important thing we can say about Saul of Tarsus, he's a Jew. And you can say it this way, he is a Jew. Not he was a Jew, he is a Jew. He's in heaven. Abs he wrote down, absent in the flesh, present with the Lord. Paul wrote that down, and then he experienced it. And Paul is a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. Some of this stuff just makes me just think. Um, Paul said this later, and um, so I'm just going to read you a couple verses. I don't know if they're there, but um, it's kind of in your notes, I think. I, I handed my notes back there to the guys at the monitor. They said, man, that's a lot of scripture. I said, well, I'm a teacher. Uh, that's what I do. Um, you know, so can't help it. You know, some guys are good athletes. It's not my gift. Um, so uh, Acts 22:3 says, "I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, of Sicilia, Sicilia whatever, uh, but brought up in a city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was as zealous for God as any of you are today." In Acts 26, he says, "The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child." From the beginning of my life, in my own country, and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. So he says, King Agrippa. In Philippians, he declared, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Thanks for telling us. Um, and of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. And in the letter to the Corinthians, he says, Are there Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Paul's a Jew. He never stopped being a Jew, but he believed that Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Mashiach, was his Lord and Savior. If you haven't come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I ask you to do it right now. Just say yes. Just say yes. Back in the 70s, it was like, 
you know, I found it with a bumper sticker campaign. The Jews put on a bumper sticker says, we never lost it. <laughs> Campaigns don't work. But the presence of God does work. And the presence of God in your life, asking you to bow your head, to wrench your heart, and to open your soul to the loving Savior, he's on you today to say yes. So just say yes. Just say yes. I just wanted to mention that as Paul was trained by Gamaliel, he was a great rabbi called Braban uh, back in the day. He's also known in, this, in the writings of, of uh, Josephus as the great elder. Gamaliel was the, great grand, was the grandson of Hillel, and Hillel was probably one of the most famous rabbis in all of Israel. Um, Gamaliel was a serious student of the law of Moses. And somehow Saul of Tarsus ends up in Jerusalem studying under him. And by the time Saul is 30 is when we pick up Saul's life. He's now a zealot Jew going after and obliterating anybody in the way of the obedience of those on the law of God. Paul can't stand it. But he was Gamaliel. You know, it's uh, interesting, too, as I think about Gamaliel. Um, in Acts chapter 5, as Peter is going to jail after his great preaching sermon after the day of Pentecost, uh, they're asking Gamaliel a question. And what he says in Acts chapter 5, he says, well, you know, there was this guy that rose up and 400 people followed him and then he died. And there was that people who rose up and a bunch of people followed him and he disappeared. He goes, and he says this, he says, therefore in the presence I advise you this, leave these men alone. He goes, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You only find yourselves fighting against God. Remember that, fighting against God. If it's really God. So I'm thinking, here's Paul, blind, three days, thinking of his rabbi. If this is God, don't fight it. Paul's like, I'm blind right now. I can't fight anything. <laughs> but I think Gamaliel set him up. He set him up as a great rabbi of the law and said, there is going to come a day when somebody's real. And you're going to know, don't fight this. You're going to know, by my training of the law of Moses, there will come a time when God, when God shows up in your life and says, today is the day. Today is the day. And, you know, in, that, in this text, uh, it talks about the way. He was going after the people of the way. Now, I've got a couple of scriptures here in your outline, but I'll just read one. And uh, really, it was, I'll go to Acts 24. He's talking to Felix. He says, and he says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which were written in the law and the prophets. So following the law of the prophets is a good Jew. Uh, following the law of Moses. They called Christianity the way back then. <laughs> Which is on a, on a funny note. Uh, Jack Hayford started a church in Van Nuys called the Church on the Way. That's why he called it Church on the Way. Because there were people of the way. What way was this? The way of Jesus. 
the way of Yeshua, the way of the Messiah. Uh, verse 3 goes on to say, as he uh, um, near Damascus on his journey, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? I'm not persecuting you. I don't even know who you are. Well, I know who you are because I'm persecuting people because of you. But I don't think Paul had ever met Jesus before. So this voice comes and it says, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus says, well, I'm Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And that's when I sort of pause and I say, in, in this moment, Paul now comes to a divine understanding of what's known as the body of Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 25. He said, he responded to them and said, Lord, when did we uh, see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Jesus basically saying to them, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did to me. Whatever you do to the least of anybody, you do to me. I'm sure Paul's sitting there blind going, why did I persecute you? I'm after your people. I'm not after you. I think that's where he probably learned a lot about the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God kept on talking to him. See, I love that about Paul. Paul's like us. I could say Paul's like me. I don't know Jesus. I didn't see Jesus walk. I didn't see Jesus hang on a cross. Jesus didn't pray for my friends to be healed. I know Jesus after the Spirit. That's, that's Paul. He knows Jesus after the Spirit. Now, do I think he had a visible manifestation of Jesus in his life? I, yeah, I do. I think the risen Savior showed up and talked to Paul. You know, it's like, whoosh, here he is. Now, why do I believe that? I'll, call, I'll quote an N.T. Wright thing again. N.T. Wright talks a lot about the kingdom, talks about Jesus, New Testament the, theological man. He said, the kingdom of God is not a distance, it's a dimension. The kingdom of God is not distance, it's dimension. Jesus said, if you cast out demons, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. That's why we believe in miracles. That's why we believe in healing. That's why we believe that prophetic words sometimes just come right out of heaven through one of you to somebody like me and tell me what the word of the Lord is. Because heaven's that far away. Just a dimension away. Take one step. You're in the kingdom of God. One step in the flesh. Your choice. <laughs> so in the course of then Paul's life, and um, I say in the course of Paul's life because one of the things I've done is, you know, and of course this is, uh, you know, argumentative or debatable and all that stuff, is which book did you write first and which book did you write last? Uh, I think, uh, in, in my own estimation, I think from what I've read, it's probably Galatians or Thessalonians you wrote first. And obviously, Second Timothy he wrote last. Uh, he's in prison writing to Timothy. Um, probably wrote about Galatians because really he's, cause he's, he's fighting his own sense of conscience as well as the gospel of the kingdom, which is, who's bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? 
Are you going to fulfill by the law which God had started in the spirit? I mean, he's talking to himself too. He's going, I love the law. I love it. But then Jesus came. <laughs> he changed everything. It's like, and then he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He talks about, no, he talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians. Does he mention prophecy? I don't know why. But at the very end of Timothy, he does. He goes, Timothy, you know, with the laying on of hands and the gift you got and the prophetic words, you go fight the good fight of faith. He told Timothy, you know what the prophetic word you got? That word, he breaks down this way, that word is a strategy of your life for you to have warfare with. That's how it breaks down. Fight the good fight. Strategies of war. Paul finally told Timothy, words matter. We're going to find out why in a sec, but uh, let's see how we do. So I have a bunch of scriptures here on Paul's thinking on the body of Christ. Because he wrote a letter to the Romans, wrote a letter to the Corinthians, he wrote it to the Ephesians, he wrote a letter to the Colossians. Every one of these letters, it was about Jesus Christ is Lord and King and head of the church, and we are his body. Why does he know that now? Because he persecuted a couple of people, and he ends up meeting the head. Right. <laughs> Hello. That's what I would say. Hello. Um, Romans 7, 5 says, and this is just, you know, kind of going through your Bible um, linearly. So, my brothers, I like this verse. You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. You ever read that before? You also died to the law through the body of Christ. That's quite a benefit of being in the body of Christ. Together we die to the law. Later on, he says, just as each one of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I am not my own, never have been from the day I got saved. And I would tell you that that's what I feel my calling is, is to you. You know, I have a job. It's great. I love it. Thank you, Jesus, for all the money that you give me. Uh, helps me have a great life. But my service and my life is to you, the church. First Corinthians 10, this is kind of relevant for this morning. We just had communion. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Well, yes, it is. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Yes, it is. Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, and we all partake of one loaf. Breaking bread means I'm just a piece of the little loaf. You're a piece of the loaf. You're a piece of the loaf. You're a piece of the loaf. We form the body of Christ. And as we take of his body, we think of his body. Not just the body crucified and resurrected. We think of the body. His body is alive. The head is alive. Amen. This whole thing's alive. Nothing about Christianity is dead. Nothing. Religion's dead, not Christianity. Um, Ephesians 1.22 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills everything. Ephesians 4.11 says, It was he who gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service, so that they may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. Uh, prepare God's people for works of service. Other translations will say equip God's people for works of service. So we call them the equipping ministries, right? We call them the fivefold ministry, the equipping ministry, the fivefold. I have a study Bible. I have several. One of them is the new, uh, it's the Spirit-Filled Life Bible by Jack Hafer. And you open that thing up to Ephesians 4, and this word equipping is a Greek word which basically is explained this way. The fivefold equips the church as a surgeon takes two bones and puts them back together again. A prophet comes into your life and says, this is where you belong in the body. An evangelist says, this is the good news. I'm going to give you life so that as you're in the body, you're going to bring life to everybody around you. It's, it's surgically important to be around people that have high gifts. Why don't I call them high gifts? Because, real, because prophets are different than just people who prophesy. You know, I think if the Apostle Paul was to walk in here right now, it would be kind of a stunning reality for us. Number one, he wouldn't look anything like we've ever seen because we don't have any idea what he looks like. But number two, when he began to speak, what would his anointing be like? It's like, oh my gosh. Because when he writes Ephesians, I'm like stunned. It's amazing. So i got to move on. So he talked a lot about the body of Christ. He stood there speechless. Well, I have to break this down. This is too much fun, this next section. So we get to verse 11. And the Lord told, so now, now we're to this. So continue on. So men, uh, verse 7 says, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. He could see nothing. So they led him to Damascus. Verse 10. This is where it gets really interesting. Verse 10. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, the Lord said. Now, what you not, when I then broke down, if you're like me, I made a red letter. Nine lines. Nine specific words of knowledge that Ananias got about Paul. This is called a download, folks, in our terminology. Who's Ananias? We have no idea who Ananias is. <laughs> who trained Ananias? God. We learn later he was a devout man. He was a devout Jew. That's what he told King Agrippa later on. He was a devout Jew. He told the Jews he was a devout Jew. <laughs> Luke just says, let me break down this word for you. This is a word broken down. Go to the house of Judas. Okay, I know where that is. It's on Straight Street. Not the other one, the one on Straight Street. <laughs> And as for a man from Tarsus, okay, a guy named from Tarsus there, that's general, was named Saul. Well, that's really specific. He's praying, okay, wow, great, that's more information. And he's having a vision. What? Yeah, he's seeing you come into the room, and you place your hands on him, and then you restore his sight. Now that's a good word. Hallelujah. Where's Ananias? Lay hands on me. You know, uh, Ananias is gifted. This is quite a, quite a download for the benefit of somebody else. What does this do for Ananias' life? Prophecy doesn't benefit me. It benefits you. 
when I get a good word for you, it's a good word for you. I'm just a vessel. Ananias was a vessel, a prophetic vessel. And then he, he just says, oh, Lord, you're amazing. That's a good word. He goes, Lord, I've heard many reports about this guy. And he does harm to all your saints. He goes, I don't want to do this. After that specific word, could you imagine? Well, none of you have had any kind of words. You can't imagine. You're like, I don't want to give that word. I don't care how good it is. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I, I love you. You're amazing, God. Let's just read the Bible. God brings us out of our comfort zone and we prophesy. So it says in verse 15, But the Lord said, and I said, I don't care. And he adds more. He said, this is the prophetic word now. You got the word of knowledge. Here's the word. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name. That's all the promises in the book are mine verse. You know what I mean? Um, apostolic people suffer. Repeat after me. People who have an apostolic calling get the suffering part. I hear people talk about this kind of stuff all the time. I'm like, well, let's look at the Bible. What does the Word of God have to say about what an apostolic call looks like? This is the premier apostolic call. Post-Jesus Christ's resurrection. Oh, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer and die. We're all going to die. I mean, we all know that. But uh, the suffering part wasn't fun. It wasn't fun at all. And I can imagine, I've got my notes here. So here's, so he comes in, lays hands on me. Now I can see. That's all wonderful and that's all good. Paul's like, I'm called to the Gentiles? I'm a Pharisee. It's like, don't you know who I am? I've studied hard for this. I'm, I'm, I'm your guy. I'm amazing. God's like, yeah, awesome. Love you, man. I appreciate all that study. We're going to use that to reach the Gentiles. No, 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 no. I'm not going to the Gentiles. You know, it's like Peter. You know, it's really a, a couple of chapters within, you know, the next chapter, actually, Peter, he's on his, you know, the roof, right, in uh, that city he's in. Um, you know, and the, the vision comes down, Joppa, yeah, and uh, he's, uh, he's in Joppa. Arise, Peter, kill me. He's like, no, nominate none of this unclean stuff. No lobster, no crab, no shrimp for this boy, you know. And uh, God's like, yeah, you're going to do this. Well, isn't that kind of cool that, you know, in verse in chapter 9, we got Paul having this thing about the Gentiles. And right after that, we read about how Peter gets this download from heaven too. And actually in chapter 8, it's kind of fun because that's where Philip gets translated by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you talk about the activity of God as people want to release the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to Acts 8, 9, and 10. And lecto divina those for a while. Which means ponder, consider, way um, kind of like say law so um, verse 17 says then Ananias went to the house and entered in placing his hands on Saul and said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you to, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength 
I have a, a, a New King James Study Bible. The beginning of this section I just read, it's called Paul's Baptism. I'm like, dude, Paul's prophecy. <laughs> That's what my Bible ought to say. This, this is the most prof- a profound prophetic word in the history of the kingdom of God. If Paul is one of the ten most important Jews, this is the most important prophetic word that the Gentile nation has ever known. Because Paul got sent to the Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. Well, I'm 0.5% Ashkenazi, so it says, you know, me and, you and me in 23. So, um, you know, if you do the little blood test thing, which means I'm nothing. Um, I'm a Gentile. And um, that's okay, because Paul was sent to the Gentiles to tell us the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was part of the way, which was a, a sect of Judaism. I find myself now, like it says in Romans 9 through 11, I am that unnatural branch grafted into the natural branch, waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles so that finally something else will happen and the end shall come. And Jesus said it this way, you know, you preach the gospel of the end of the earth and then the end shall come. I mean, Mike, you know, we pretty much profoundly teach that, I would say, around here. I do it in the school and preach the gospel of the kingdom and one day Jesus will come back. The rest of it's up to him. That's all we're supposed to call to do. So, um, I knew I wouldn't get very far, but um, I wanted to break down for you the laying on of hands. And the one thing I have in my notes, I'll spend a couple more minutes here, is that during COVID, what we lost was laying on of hands. What we're now recovering is laying on of hands. When people lay hands on you that are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, stuff happens in your life. It's just important. You know, now it does, he did say to Timothy later on, you know, lay hands on no man suddenly. And I would also give you this caveat that if somebody wants to lay hands on you and you don't want it, just say no. It's okay. Maybe you don't want to receive from them. That's okay too. You have to discern what it is you're going to receive from people. But if somebody has something you want, ask for it. We believe in that. Call it whatever you want to call it. it I just call it the doctrine of laying on my hands. The, the writer in the book of Hebrews says that this is an elementary teaching. Laying on hands is elementary. Okay. I think it's powerful. I have quotes here. I don't have time. Um, I have many quotes. Now the thing, one may, I'll kind of bring this up, that um, what Paul did in his journey uh, immediately after he had this encounter is he went to a synagogue. Well, if he's called to the Gentiles, why would he go to a synagogue? And it's really commonly known that back in those times, many Gentiles went to synagogues. They would say especially women went to synagogues. Why? Because they believed in one God and appreciated the morality of the Jews. Now you can imagine in a culture that had no God or was polytheistic or whatever, or that followed the Greek gods or the Roman gods or, you know, pick one, is that they found themselves there there were a lot of Gentiles in synagogues. So Paul, when he went there, it was also what I would call his comfort zone. You know, being trade guy, I'm And a synagogue really was that place of conversation, education, I might add argument and worship. You know, the synagogue was a place where you walked in and um, it wasn't a room like this. 
In fact, when I did get a chance to go to Israel a couple years ago, you find that a synagogue is more like a rectangle, and it's got little stairs here, like kind of like a pool. Imagine like that. And there's, there's kind of a pulpit thing, maybe. And, but everybody sits in a rectangle, and they sit around like this. And so it's a conversation. When it's your time to read, that's when Jesus stood up and said, you know, this is what it says in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And they are probably all went, whoa, what was that talking about? You know, and they, they have a conversation. They start to talk. They start to argue. Paul was used to that kind of reality. Now, that's what I would come to now know as the Sephardic temple synagogue arrangement. In Europe, the Ashkenazi Jews, which were those ones who were part of the diaspora, the ones that scattered everywhere, and two things, they end up having a little lighter skin, maybe because of where they're going, uh, but they also call them Ashkenazi Jews versus Sephardic. In the Ashkenazi places, they set it up like this. The rabbi sit up front, everybody listen to the rabbi. In the history of the church, it went through that Ashkenazi way. What if the church would have been built the Sephardic way? Do you follow? What if we came into a room, we had a conversation about what God just said? had a conversation about what we just read in the Torah or in the New Testament, in the book of Psalms. It would be body. I'm going to end with this and just say that I think that the body of Christ is one of the most powerful things that Paul preached. Because uh, as Peter said in his book, not only holy nation, we are all the royal priesthood. We are all a holy nation. We all have a relevant place in the purposes and in the kingdom of God because of what Jesus Christ has done through every one of us. So I'm going to land there, invite the band back up. And I'm going to ask you to respond this way. Maybe I'll tell one more story. It's my story. My testimony, my story. So Jesus Christ is the truth to me. Um, several days or weeks after that, I went to a meeting at the, you know, the big tent, Calvary Chapel movement, Jesus movement, 1972. It was on a Monday night, and the man preaching on Monday night was just hammering me in the spirit. If you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. You need to stand up right now and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. If you don't do it publicly, God's not going to defend you. You know, when people say that to me, I'm a 20-year-old kid, I'm like, you start getting sweaty. <laughs> it's like, God's on you. You know, your friends are looking like, he's next. You know, it's like, he's going down. And uh, I'm in. Well, and then uh, that was November. I got saved. And uh, April, I got water baptized. And that day I came out of the water, I felt like God speak to my heart. And he kind of quoted, you know, for some reason, John, I'm sorry, James 3.1, and basically, John, James 3.1 says that you're called to be a teacher and you're going to receive a greater sense of condemnation because of it. Great word. Thanks. Kind of like one of Paul's words. You're called to suffer. Um, be not many masters to so know you not, you shall receive the greater condemnation. That's what the King James says in James 3.1. I knew in my heart I was called to teach. I, I had been saved like six months. Well, okay, I'm called to teach. And then uh, events occur. I move to Mammoth Lakes. I get up there. Within a year and a half... The pastor of the church called me out and says, God called you to teach. He's called you to pastor. He's called you into this, that, other stuff. I'm like, I know. Nice of you to notice. Anyway, um, 
I'm not doing anything with it except reading. Within about six months, I'm at a little meeting with about 12 people. Some guy comes out of Oregon named Mike and um, picks me out of those people. He says, you're called to teach. I'm like, twice. Unsolicited, never met the guy in my life, never seen him, heard from him ever again. Called me out, said, you know, miracles and all that fun stuff, but I'm called to teach. Probably the next summer, the summer thereafter, in our church, uh, because we were a charismatic church back then, uh, Albie was our senior leader, Albie Pearson, called my spiritual dad, wonderful dude. Um, he uh, brought in a friend of his named Brother Moore, Brother Clarence Moore. He was part of, uh, I think, the uh, Salvation Army in Kansas City at the time. This is pre-Kansas City Prophets, by the way. It's probably 74, 75. And Brother Moore comes in the room. He starts preaching. He turns beet red because you think he's going to die being a Pentecostal. It's kind of hilarious. And the Lord's going to do this. We're like, oh, man, he's going to die. He's going to die. No. You know, I'm like 22. He's 65. I'm thinking he's already old anyway. So, But then he's like his little, as we say, his little bony fingers like, you back there, you're called to teach. The prophet calls me out and tells me I'm called to teach. I know what I've been called to do since 1974. And all I've been doing is studying and preparing and doing what I can do all the days of my life. I, I'm lucky, in a sense. Nice American word. Call it blessed, call it favored, call it whatever you want. Greater condemnation that comes along with it, that's fun too. Because, um, you know, what I say has weight, has weight for me and against me has weighed against me because Romans 2 says, you know with that judgment that you render? It's on you. Awesome. So, close your eyes. Band can start to strum. God has called you by name. Unsolicited divine encounter has touched your life somewhere. And I would assume it's been confirmed. I'm only asking you today to say yes to God. Later on in the story, I have to add this. Paul mentions this little thing too. He says, as Jesus talks to him, he says, why do you persecute me? Jesus says this to him in the last instance. Why do you kick against the goats? Why do you kick against the goad? You know what a goad was? Basically a sharp stick. So you're a farmer, you got your plow, you got the oxen pulling the plow, oxen's like being rebellious, you take the stick, hallelujah. Cow would kick. Culturally, kicking against the goad is resisting the will of God. I'm inviting you today not to resist the will of God. I'm out of you. Search your heart. Say, what has God called me to do? Because that's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters is what has God called you to do? He's called you by name. Saul, Saul, Bruce, Bruce, Mike, Mike. This is where we wait for more of the unsolicited divine intervention. Stand up with me, let's pray.
Lord Jesus, I give you my life today. I do pray that it would be a sweet smelling sacrifice. I pray that I would be an epistle read by men. I pray that I would be transformed by the renewal of my mind. I pray that my pray that my life would be a living sacrifice. I pray that you'd grant me more spiritual gifts so that I might be more useful to your body. I pray you give me a heart of worship. But above all, I ask you, Jesus. I ask you, Jesus. Touch your body here today. Holy Spirit, brood over this group of people. Anybody watching? Holy Spirit, come. I invite the intervention of God to flood your life, to kiss the purpose He's called you to. If anybody here today doesn't know what God's called them to, why don't you come up front? Come up front. I want you to stand here. Tell God, I'm not quite sure what you called me to do. I'm just not quite sure. Like I said, I'm, I'm very blessed. I've known for a long, long time what I'm supposed to do. And I believe I've spent my life doing it. Um, but if you don't know, come. There's a couple of groups of people here today that can help you. There's my beloved people that have gone through the school of ministry. A lot of them know how to pray. We also have gifted people on the ministry team that know how to pray. We also have the pastoral staff. We have Chanel. We have Tricia. We have Eric. We have Eddie. We have people that know how to pray. We have Kim. We have Joanne. We have Richard. There's a lot of people here that know how to pray. A lot of people don't know how to prophesy. I'm asking for a spirit of prophecy to come. It will be released in this house so that you might know more completely what it is God called you to do. This word that Paul got, this was not a confirming word, folks. <laughs> this was revolutionary. It wasn't like, yeah, I've heard that word before. That's a good word. It's like, what? Lord, give us what words call us out God into something that we know not of so that you can be who you need to be and all that we are Lord bless your people today bless your people today in Jesus name Amen